real brief today. I'll let you out on time. So, Father, I thank you that you're going to help us this morning. You're going to speak into our lives very uh, powerfully. I pray today that you will enrich our moments together here with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, a teacher was assigned to visit children in a, a city hospital and uh, she routinely made calls from, you know, the, the teachers who had children in the hospital. They would phone her and then she'd go up and, and help those children try to stay current with their schoolwork. And so uh, she phoned the teacher. She got a rece- received a phone call from this a child's teacher and said, we're studying nouns and adverbs in this class and I'm, I'm afraid he's going to get behind. Would you please go visit him? And he gave him the room number. And so... Uh, It wasn't until the visiting teacher got outside the boy's room that she realized that she was now in the burn unit and that this little boy had been severely burned and he was in great pain. And she felt, she really wasn't prepared for that. She felt overwhelmed, but she said, you know, I've been asked to do this. So she walked in and she was kind of awkward at first. And she says, I'm the hospital teacher. Your teacher sent me to help you with nouns and adverbs. And so they went ahead and had their lesson. The next morning, uh, a nurse on the burn unit said, what did you do to that boy? And so she kind of was making apologies. And and the nurse said, no, no, you don't understand. We've been very worried about him. But ever since you've been here yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back. He's responding to treatment. It's as though he has decided to live. And the boy later explained that he had completely given up hope until the teacher walked through the door. And this is what he thought. They wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? So he came alive. He just believed that he was going to make it, and he began to respond. You know, there's such a powerful thing about hope. It affects our mental well-being. It gives us the ability to endure and to do amazing things in our lives. And we see that here. The mind uh, is actually the great battlefield for our souls. And we're fighting a tremendous battle today. And I want to just focus in on uh, how the enemy basically is trying to capture the mind's of humanity today. And there's basically only two sets of, of, of looking at life. And we're going to find this in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 19. I'm only going to look at three verses and we're going to only look at basically uh, two states of mind. We're either in one state of mind or the other. And first of all, we read here in Philipp- uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, uh, Paul says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Very powerful expression. Uh, What is Paul talking about? He's talking about our past mental condition. He's talking about where we were camped in in our minds. And he describes... Uh, people in two classes. See, in the ancient world, there were only two groups of people. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. There were God's covenant people in relationship to him. And then there was everybody else that was not in the covenant. They were not Jews. They didn't have all of the blessings and privileges of being part of God's covenant family. 
But when Jesus came on the scene and the gospel was preached, God broke down that barrier between Jew and Gentile so that no longer it was a racial distinction. You and I can actually all have a relationship with God and we can become God's covenant people. Isn't that an amazing thought? And we celebrated that this morning during our communion service. But now Paul uses very interesting words. He talks, he's talking to a group of Christians here and he's telling them, He says, I'm insisting on it in the Lord so that you must no longer live as the Gentiles. Let's just translate that word as a non-covenant person. You're not going to live like the people who are not in relationship to God. You're not going to live like people who think a certain way. You're not going to live like these people who live in the futility of their minds. There is no sense of real hope in their life because they don't really know God. And so they're relying upon themselves apart from God. He says, don't live like that. It's a life of futility. That's a very strong word, isn't it? Futility. It's vanity. It's empty. It doesn't have any real significance. It has little purpose or meaning to life. And, you know, it would be better for us to be struggling as a believer and living in trust with God, even though we don't understand what's happening in our current situation, than to be living, trusting in our own faulty way of looking at life. And that's exactly what Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10 states. He says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, I'm going through all kinds of stuff in my life and I don't understand what's happening. And what is God really wanting to say to you? Just trust God. Just trust him. You may not be able to figure it all out. Don't sweat it. Don't sweat that stuff. God will see you through your situation. But so often, what do we do? We end up lighting our own, trying to find our own way. We see that in the next verse in Isaiah 50, verse 11. It says, but now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Now, what God was basically saying to the nation of Israel here was, the people who are just depending on yourself, looking for your own enlightenment, figuring it out on your own, you are going to suffer as a result of leaning to your own understanding and to your own wisdom. That's exactly what Isaiah is warning them against. It's interesting, Dr. Neil Anderson relates this issue of the state of our mental well-being. He says this, what is mental health? Well, secular mental health experts define mental health as being in touch with reality and being relatively free of anxiety. That's a pretty good definition. That would be good, right? Being in touch with reality and being relatively free of anxiety. But he says sometimes as Christians, there is measures of anxiety coming at us. So he said that's not a total definition of mental health. And so he goes on and basically says this, we believe as Christians that a mentally healthy person is the one who has the true knowledge of God, who knows that they are a child of God, who understands their identity in Christ, who have a balanced worldview that includes the reality of the spiritual world. Because a lot of people in our culture today, they're just pure materialists. They have no sense of an understanding of the spiritual world. If you knew, he says, that God loves you, has forgiven you, has gone to prepare a place for you for all of eternity, that you have no need to fear death, and you had the peace of God guarding your heart and mind, wouldn't you be a mentally 
healthy person? And the answer is, of course. But let's add quickly, but not always, people do struggle with mental health issues. Isn't that true? We know that. That's reality. And, uh, and one of the reasons, and I'm going to say this, uh, is that so often the reason that people are struggling with these issues is they have a distorted concept of God and a misunderstanding or a terrible perception of who they are. You know, we can have all kinds of tapes playing in our heads. We have all these messagings going on in our minds. Isn't that true? And how we perceive ourselves many times have been based on the messaging we've gotten from other people. And sometimes from bad situations. And we have these tapes going on in our head. But here's what I want you to understand today. That you and I have to have a correct view of who God is. We need to have an understanding of God's grace and His love and His mercy and His forgiveness and His compassion and the things that He wants to do in our lives and that you and I find God to be trustworthy and our hope is built in Him. Actually, the Scriptures teaches us that there is a reality beyond the world in which we see. Aren't you glad for that? And I think that that's so important. So often we are defeated or we're living a darkened state of mind based on wrong ideas. Empty philosophies leading to an empty way of life. Let's go back here to Ephesians 4.17. He says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So, Kenneth Weiss says, He's a New Testament scholar. He says, the mind is not merely the intellectual faculty, or it's not just the source that we get our understanding from, but is also the faculty for recognizing moral, morally good and spiritual realities or spiritual truth. You know, I'm, I'm listening to some lectures by a neuroscientist right now, and they explain that in our mind, there's, we have different facets of our brain, and there's actually a facet of our mind that actually has the ability to determine and discern that which is good and that which is evil. There's a moral faculty in the human brain. Isn't that an amazing thing? And they've actually studied this, and they, they know that that's true. And yet here, uh, one of the problems in the last hundred years is that our culture has embraced the concept that what the great need in our society is just better education. How many know that's kind of what we've bought into? That's the solution for our world's problems. We just have to educate people, and then they'll, they'll know what's what's right and what's wrong and all the rest of it. Now, I, I believe in education. How many can see that? I have graduated from a lot of institutions, so I'm not opposed to education. But I sometimes think that if we rely on education apart from God, we're going to get into some big-time trouble. And that's the problem. D.L. Moody, who you know lived in the last century, who understood this, he made this interesting insight. He said, if a man is stealing nuts and bolts from a railroad track, and in order to change him, you send him to college. At the end of his education, he'll steal the whole railroad track. <laughs> In other words, you've just made a more you know, educated sinner. That's what he's basically saying. And that's the problem. There's something that's more fundamentally needed to change the moral understanding of our hearts and minds. The problem, according to God, as revealed to Paul, is that people's understanding is darkened. It's, that's a moral category. And look at verse 18. He says, They are darkened in their understanding, and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. In other words, it's a willful ignorance. 
Many times it's a willful ignorance. Not always, but many times it's a willful ignorance. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So what has happened as our culture is moving away from God, what we're seeing is that we're moving away from emotional and relational sensitivities to a very sexually promiscuous culture. How many recognize that's exactly what's happened? We are, we, 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 this is a very sensual culture. You know, the focus on this culture is about sex. Did anybody notice that? And it's usually, it's becoming more perverted all the time. There's, not, there's a lack of real emotional sensitivity. We're diminishing in that capacity because we're moving in this other area, because we're becoming, in a sense, more callous in our hearts. And that's what the scriptures here are talking about. And, the, uh, and, it, and a lot of this time, it's willful on our part. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. He says, God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So what he's saying is that what's happening is that people are suppressing truth. And the reason they're doing it is because they're trying to justify the wrong things that they're doing. And that's why they're doing it. As a matter of fact, we read here in John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 19, this is the verdict that light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Let me just, uh, there's so much I could say about this stuff, but let me just move on to my second point here. On the one side, Paul is describing the darkened mind. This is the mind that's not been renewed. This is the mind that's not been enlightened by God's Spirit. This is the mind that has not been converted. We'll use that term. It's not the mind that has experienced the grace of God. It's not the mind that, you know, has a desire to please God and to understand life and see life from a different vantage point. And so the second mind that Paul is going to describe here is a renewed mind or a devoted mind, a committed mind to God. You know, you know, some people may wonder if it's possible to live in a victorious frame of mind. Or in other words, how can I have a diminishment of anxiety and have joy and a sense of well-being in my mind when there's so many difficulties and anxieties and challenges and pressures in my life? And because so often what's happening is the things that are happening to us externally are really defining us internally. How many say that's probably true? And that we're struggling with these things. And I want to just talk for a moment here to talk about how to overcome the problems in our lives. Does anybody here have problems in their lives? Anybody, you know, some people may not like the word problems. Let me use refashion the word challenges in your life. Anybody here have a challenge in your life? Any challenges? Okay, so how do we deal with these challenges that are in our life that seem to be, at times, creating levels of anxiety and they feel like they're overwhelming us? Anybody had those experiences? See, we're, I, hey, I have those things too. They're happening to all of us. They're coming from the outside, but it's what it's happening to us on the inside. And I'm going to try to quickly share with you the power this is not positive thinking, but explain to you how you and I can actually experience freedom to overcome these things in our lives. Now, 
A number of years ago, David Seaman tells a story of a, an alchemist. You know what an alchemist does? Is these are the people who can kind of make one thing into another. And he gave this village some powder, and he told them, if you apply this to water, it will turn to gold. And you believe that, right? Okay, so he tells them this, but he says this next statement. He says, but if you start thinking of red monkeys, it won't happen. Now, how many know that the moment you do something like that, what's going to happen? You're going to think red monkeys. So how in the world do you get rid of the red monkeys? Right? Because you know as well as I do, the person wants the powder to turn into gold, but he's trying to avoid thinking about red monkeys. And so what happens is they think about, and nothing turns to gold. You see, we have that same problem in our life because we have these things in our mind. They're like gorillas in our head, and we just can't get rid of them. And so many of us have battled with thoughts, and they, we just can't seem to overcome the thought. And the more we want to get rid of that thought, the bigger the thoughts become. As a matter of fact, so often in our lives, the challenges and problems and difficulties, they're just intensifying all the time. They just seem to be growing. Right? So how do, we get, how do we deal with that? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is summarizing probably, I think, one of the great chapters in the Bible, especially when it deals with our minds. Because the battlefield is in our minds, and the Bible is teaching us that you and I need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So what are we supposed to do when we start thinking red monkeys? Or whatever the thought is that you and I are trying to deal with. Every temptation... See, Jesus was tempted, yet he didn't sin. You and I are tempted, and we don't have to sin. But so often what we do is we focus on the temptation, and it overcomes us. That's where the battle is being waged, okay? So how do I handle this? How do I take these thoughts and make it obedient to Christ? Well, Paul writes down in verse 6, if it says, Don't be anxious for anything. Already we're thinking anxious thoughts. He's telling us not to be anxious. No, we're, we're anxious. So anxiety is a part of human life. But he says, don't be anxious for anything. Rather, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What God wants us to do is whenever we're challenged with wrong thinking, is shoot our minds towards God. Step one. We need to go, you know, you know the default switch. You know, I'm thinking I want gold, and I end up with red monkeys, right, in my mind. Here's what I'm saying to you. The temptation comes. Whatever the thought comes, you and I need to find verses of Scripture that are actually the very opposite of what we're thinking about and start reciting those verses in our minds. You see, Paul goes on to say, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, Think on such things. So you and I need to be reprogramming our minds. Okay? So a lot of us, we're having problems in our minds, but we don't have a lot to program away from the problem. And what I'm going to challenge you to do, I'm going to give you a homework assignment this week. And this is going to have an impact in your life. How many people want to get better in their minds? 
How many people would like to be delivered from anxiety in your minds? How many people would like to start overcoming the problems and the challenges that seem to be overwhelming you in your mind? Here's the homework assignment. I want you to start reading the Bible daily. I'm, I'm trying to convince you. If you will start doing this, take one chapter, take a notebook, write down the verses as you're reading them and you're praying, okay, God, I want you to start making these verses real to me by your spirit. God's going to start making things stand out to you. You do it over the next week. Your mind is going to be on a different frequency. We're trying to create a new habit in your thinking. You're trying to develop these what's noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. These are coming from the scriptures. So what happens is when you and I, let's whatever the battle is, whatever the thought life is, whatever the issue is, if you can even go and do a little research and look up verses that speak to the opposite of what you're struggling with, and you put those scriptures down and you start memorizing those scriptures, and when those thoughts come, you're starting to say those verses instead in your mind. Do you know what starts happening? Here's what Satan's doing. You see, the Bible talks about the fiery darts of the enemy. That's what they are. Wrong thinking. Then Paul says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. How do you do that? You take that thought and go, that's a wrong thought. I'm not going to dwell on this. And I start repeating the verses that I'm putting in its place. Satan, you know, realizes, oh, every time I shoot that temptation, immediately I'm making him go to God. Now think of what James says. You resist the devil by what? Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee. So after a while, Satan goes, this is not working. I throw this nasty, dastardly, wicked, vile thought in this person's mind and immediately they go right to God with a scripture. You know, if you're fighting a battle like that and he wants us to forget about God and pretend that God's not even in your life. You see, I think a lot of Christians, we, we develop practical atheism. We have all of the right head stuff. We're going around saying, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is we're not living like that. You see, because we forget all about God. We're so busy in our life. I don't have any time for God. I don't have any time for scripture. I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time for this. I am so busy. And then pretty soon we forget all about God. And actually Satan's winning. So why even bother you? But if you're starting to get temptations in your thought and you keep coming up with these scriptures in your mind, now you're immediately focusing back on God. How many know the enemy goes, this is not working? How many are catching on? You're actually taking control of all of these thoughts in your mind. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? It sure is. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. This is, however, not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. In verse 21, surely you heard of Him. That proposition of is actually not in the Greek language. It's a filler word that's given there to bring some meaning to it. But if you take the word, you know, of Him and just put, you heard Him. How many know that has a little different twist to it? You see, what happens in our brains, this is really amazing to me, and I'm, list, I'm listening to these lectures on understanding the brain. Do you realize that all of us instinctively 
hear language. But we have to learn written language. It's a different function in our brain. And that's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. See, our spiritual person is actually hearing the Word of God. And that's why sometimes when we come to church, usually it happens, I think, weekly, because we're praying it'll happen to you, that you are hearing Christ. You're not just hearing me, you're hearing the voice of Christ speaking into your specific life, speaking to you about something very specific in your soul, and you walk out of here and going, I heard from God today. I heard God speak into my soul today. That is powerful. And so I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to have a stand. We've come to the end of the service. I've given you enough to think about. How many are going, I'm walking out of here, and I'm saying to myself, I could change my thought life. And here's the deal that you need to know about changing your thought life. If you change your thought life, you change your future. If you change your thought life, you're going to change how you're going to behave. Because everything we do, even though it's habitual, we go, I don't even think about it anymore. That's right. But initially, there was a thought there that got you on that track. How you bring about change in your life is you have to change the way you think. You know what repentance is? It's a change of mind. And so today, we're going to make a change of mind. We're going to repent. I actually think the word repentance is a positive word. I used to think it was a negative word. It's actually a positive word. You know what repentance means? I'm coming into an agreement with God. I'm changing how I used to think and how I looked at things, and I'm agreeing with God. How many think God's smarter than us? It might be smart to just say, God, I'm, I'm going with you. I'm going to buy what you're saying. And you see, what's happening in our culture today is too much of the culture is shaping the church because we're being bombarded with messaging every single day from our culture, movies, media, news, all the time. Isn't that true? And eventually we start to think that's the truth. And eventually we start arguing with the Bible because we feel like, you know what, this is the way it is, Pastor. This is reality. The Bible's not real. And I'm going to tell you right now, everything you and I see physically is going to disappear. The only reality is the Word of God. It's eternal. So when I stand on God's Word, I'm standing on something that is eternal. And so when you and I embrace that in our spirit, in our minds, it affects the way we're going to do things in the future. And I'm going to say this right now. Every day, you and I make choices, and that's what builds our lives. Good choices build a great life. Bad choices brings brokenness, hurt, and suffering, and sorrow into our lives and into others. We have a choice today. How many here today, with every head bowed, say, you know what? I want to develop a devoted mind. I got my hand up. I want to develop a biblical mind. You see, the scriptures teach this. And Paul says it this way. I beg of you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your reasonable act of service, and be no longer conformed to the way of this world, the way it thinks, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know the perfect good will of God. The pleasing, perfect will of God. Isn't that beautiful? How do I know if what I'm doing is right? From the Word of God. So a lot of you said, yeah, I want to live, I want to have a devoted mind. How many here say, you know what, Pastor? I have to confess, I've struggled with a darkened mind. I've struggled with a darkened mind. 
I've let unbelief, I've let doubt, I've let unforgiveness, I've let lust, I've let greed, I've let envy, I've let jealousy rule my mind. Today, I want to just drop that stuff. I want my mind to be renewed. I want to start taking responsibility today. I want to take captive every thought now that's in disobedience to God's Word. I have to know what God's Word is to do that, don't I? Of course I do. So I'm going to pray for us today. And then I'm giving you your homework assignment. One chapter every day from the New Testament. Or if you're in a reading plan, just keep doing what you're doing. You're okay. But for a lot of you, you're not reading the Bible, here's your homework assignment. One chapter, notebook, prayer. God talk to me every day. Make something real to me every day. Your mind is going to become transformed. So, Father, I thank you for today. Thank you that you are in the midst of transforming our lives by the renewing of our minds. Lord, help us today by your grace. We can't do this in our own strength, but by your grace, help us to have a new hunger for your word, a desire and a delight in it, and a deeper understanding of it so that our minds can be transformed and you can deliver us from our despair, our anxieties, our doubts, our fears, all the things that are defeating us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.